and welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Ah. Buenos dias. <laughs> oh, buenos dias, Senor Ricciardi. Si, si, como estas? Uh, muy bien, gracias. Huh. And you? So, <laughs> no, I, I actually know a few more words. I know oh, a few more words than that. That's good. That's good. Well, I mean, anybody that's lived in California as long as you have should know some basics, should know how to at least order a taco. This is true. I, I, I do know. I, I did. One of the soccer teams I played on was Central Amer- a Central American soccer team. I was the only uh, English as my first language speaker. Got it. And, and the whole idea was I would immerse myself and learn. But eventually the whole team gave up on my learning <laughs> Spanish. Well, actually, and, it was kind of like a comedy. And Gavin was pretending was. to be Latino the whole yeah. season. Well, they, they used to say, fuera, fuera, which is get out because we were playing defense. I'm supposed to be the last man. So eventually... The team, they start, one guy started yelling, Gavin, get out, Gavin, get out. And then they just dropped saying fuera. And Gavin, get out meant everybody run out. Or you're like, wow, my brain's starting to realize it in English. And they're like, no, stupido, we're saying it in English. Yes. That would have been cool, though, had it been like the 13th Warrior. Do you remember that uh, with Antonio Banderas where oh, yes. it's like he's with them and they're speaking uh, like whatever like Viking language or dialect it's supposed to be. And then suddenly... In little spurts of English so that the audience can understand. It's like he starts to understand what they're saying. Like, and then it's slowly how his brain's picking up the language and stuff. And it's kind of a cool way they do that. Obviously, they have everyone speaking English, which doesn't really make much sense. But, you know, uh, just kind of the the style they used. Yeah, it's like the Hunt for Red October. Let's zoom in on Sean Connery's uh, lips and then zoom out, and all of a sudden he's speaking English. Yeah. Scottish English. Yeah, yeah, Scottish English. Mm. Uh, I want to give up the sub. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, so are we talking about anything today? Are we talking about anything today? Yeah, We've no, got I, I mean, uh, yeah no, I know. Oh. Uh, but anyway, how, how are you? I just uh, left your presence like three days ago, but good to see you again. And I, and I, likewise, it's good to see you again. Per those, usual, those... We, we did not record while I was down there. But you know, the thing is, we are never just sitting around not doing anything. We are always like on the go. And there, there obviously are some gaps of time, but this trip, like really not much where we are at the house. But typically, we're kind of just like resting up before we go and do our next activity. Yeah, we we were it was pretty packed. And the, I think the only time where we had some pause was when we had uh, like two thirds of Bushido Man on. Yeah. So that was like Tuesday morning uh, because we slept on because obviously Monday night went really late. So Monday I came into town. We met at kickboxing, had a great session with our coach Sugarfoot, drove back from Santa Clarita to the west side, uh, you know, showered up and stuff, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, we only had like an hour before we went back to Mid-City area to go see our double screening that we're going to be talking about today at the new Beverly Cinema. And then the next day, uh, because once again, that went super late. So we slept in kind of late Tuesday morning. So that would have been the one time we had time to record. But, you know, we'd even get a chance to like, you know, let everything from the evening before settle in, you know, digest it all. So and at that point, we went to go train at the beach with Herman. Then we came back and we only had like, uh, an hour or so before we had to drive over to the valley to train with Sugarfoot again. And obviously because of traffic, that was like an hour, a little over an hour. Yeah. Then we did that training, which went really late at night. Then we went out to dinner uh, with 
sensei with Sugarfoot. And then, of course, randomly Cecil Peoples ended up joining us. So we had dinner <laughs> with them. And then so we didn't get home that night till like a little after midnight as well. Then we slept in really late Wednesday morning, got up, walked to go get some coffee and back. That's like an hour. And then I immediately left after that to go train with Sugarfoot one last time up in Santa Clarita and then headed back. So... Uh- how was that, by the way? How was that? It was when great. It was great. Uh, yeah, it was. It was awesome. Uh, not as many kids there that day, so they're doing a kids <laughs> camp at the MMA gym that our coach trains fighters out of for reference. And so on Monday when we were there, it was just packed. That place had there was like maybe like 60 plus kids 75 and just so many bodies and there was so hot and humid on Wednesday it was much more like 40 kids maybe so a lot less it was uh not as hot in there some of those kids are probably got a little dehydrated that first day yeah and plus they weren't cooking any food on Wednesday which made it easier I think they decided to wait and do food till afterwards (laughs) as opposed to in the middle like that heavy barbecue which so we're training on Monday right we're like going you know and I haven't done like three days of real like you know fighter style training now in what would be like a couple years since COVID, right? This is one of my first yeah. times I've got to go three days in a row. We're going hard. But then right in the, like, as we were 20 minutes in, suddenly it's like, oh man, I smell barbecue. Or, oh. And then I was like, oh man, that's garlic bread. I know that's garlic <laughs> bread. And then it's, you know, you're, you're kind of hungry, but it's also kind of making you nauseous because you're so hot and sweaty from all the humidity. And it, it, it's hot, uh, in that general area. It's like right outside the grapevine. Yeah, we were, I feel like we definitely had to be touching a hundred degrees or right around there yeah. outside of that, in that area. So it was, it was, it was scorching. And at one point, as I told AJ, like it was so hot in the gym. We're in Santa Clarita, by the way, I decided to step out of the gym to get fresh air. There was no fresh air. It was just stale heat outside. So imagine being in stale heat inside the gym. It feels a little humid because of the, the sweat. And then this garlic bread (laughs) scent just comes wafting over. And at first you're like, wow, this is great. I'm actually hungry. Then at second whiff, you're like, I can't, I can't take this smell away from me, please. And I was looking because I was by the door and by a fan. Yeah. So I was pushing it back towards you guys. There's a reason there isn't a garlic flavored Gatorade. (laughs) Of course, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in the world there was something random like yes, that. Yes, I, I suspect there is somewhere, 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 somewhere in the world. Somewhere, somewhere. So anyway, uh, since Wednesday, just a few days ago, anything new? I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen a trailer be released. Oh, that's right. It's funny. Two different people. I woke up this morning, uh, and that's the other thing. So now I'm now I'm now a week into fun employment. And my sleep schedule is all over the place because I've been doing a ton of activity. So when I got back... Uh, I, I got back pretty, you know, like late dinner time on Wednesday. I got home like right at seven, which is when I used to eat dinner when I got off work. I'm trying not to eat dinner that late anymore. Uh, but like I ate dinner and passed out. I was so exhausted from the three days. And then on Thursday I had, uh, couple zoom calls like job interview stuff and then another one so then I, I was busy all day thursday and then yesterday uh we had to drive into town from the mountains for one of my best friend's birthday so it was like mm-hmm. a hangout and dinner and the movies so once again we need to get home till midnight last night so pretty much for the last week i've been going to bed super late and sleeping in super late which has been nice but also kind of uh messing with my usual routine but i mentioned that because i wake up this morning you know <laughs> at a leisurely 8 a.m which is ridiculously late for me and Mm -hmm. a few people had sent me the trailer for (laughs) john wick four yes so would you i mean what do you think of it 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 looks 
pretty awesome, man. I mean, you know, the thing is with most movies, you say, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. With John Wick, I've never been disappointed, so my hopes are up. Yeah. I am kind of intrigued by some of the stuff we saw, some stuff we didn't see. Uh, later seeing some still shots, like, okay, so I now see where Marco Zoror is, uh, which I didn't catch him when watching the trailer, but then he posted some stuff on his social media, and you're like, oh, okay. So I'm going to go mm-hmm. back and try to find him. I didn't see Scott Atkins at all. I didn't either. Uh, and then Donnie Yen's the most intriguing because I'm like, oh, is he Yakuza? Uh, mm-hmm. Is he like a Zatuichi Yakuza? Because he's wearing sunglasses at all times. Yeah. I and, mean... And he's wearing like a a Yakuza style suit and sword. And I don't know, like I can't imagine they would make him Japanese, but maybe he's like a Chinese Yakuza or something. I, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and find out. Yeah. I, I mean, the clips that, that we saw particularly of his section looked really good. And of course, uh, yeah, it, you can never be disappointed with uh, John Wick or we haven't yet. I think we saw John Wick two or three together in Santa Monica it is possible. It is possible. And then we, yeah, I, I, I know it was two or three, but it's been so long. Yeah. It, it was the one with the knife fight. That I think it was, ooh, well, there's Wait. knife fights in two yeah. and three. So. <laughs> there, was a, there were guns in it. Oh, there was guns in karate. <laughs> Keanu? Yeah. Ringing a bell? Uh, I think we, we must have seen three because... Yeah. Uh, Two, I'm not even sure because number one came out in 2016. We may have not even, we may have met around the time the second one came out. Pretty sure it was three because we went yeah. in, we went in a group in Santa Monica. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it was three. Uh, so yeah, the John Wick four trailer came out. Now here's my question for you: mm-hmm. Was that the best trailer you've seen this week, or was there another trailer that we both saw that looks so good? That we just had to go down rabbit holes trying to figure out what the movie title was. Yeah, uh, I would agree that that trailer that we saw was better. (laughs) However, I finished the movie and I think you finished it uh, and it was horrifically bad. So long story (laughs) short, and we're going to get to the movies we're talking about today. But with the new Beverly, uh, typically they try to match trailers with the theme of the screening you're watching. So for us, obviously, it was a double martial arts screening. uh, And because both the films on this double bill were Japanese-inspired Chinese cinema, that was kind of the theme, uh, they showed, for example, uh, with our first movie, it's a remake of The Seven Samurai. So we got a bunch of trailers for all the films that had kind of been remakes of The Seven Samurai. We obviously got a Seven Samurai trailer. We got Mm -hmm. a Magnificent Seven trailer. We got the uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, I believe is the title, uh, trailer, which is... uh, like a sci-fi kind of ripoff or inspired by Seven Samurai uh, and so forth, so forth. Then in between the second movie, we just got a bunch of like classic Hong Kong uh, movie trailers. We got a really cool like Sam and Yam, uh, Simon Yam gangster one, a couple yeah. other, but then we see this one and there's no English uh, in the trailer or in the title. Usually and, the title will come up in English and Chinese characters. I don't but, even remember seeing a title sequence. It no, just, like, we did. Jumped. It did, but it was all okay. in Chinese. Okay. Uh and so we're watching this trailer. We're like, man, this trailer looks dope. And then we're like, holy crap, that's Dick Way. Oh, my God, that's Yukari Yoshima. I was like, oh, that's uh, Chen Quantai. Oh, my gosh, there's like all these people in it. That's Philip Kofei. And it just looks like this classic, gritty, like 80s uh, action movie. So with knowing all the people that were in it, I just kept Google searching combinations of their names. <laughs> and then I found what I thought was it, this movie called 
either Angel Mission or Angel's Mission. We watch, I find the English trailer on YouTube and it's the same movie. We're like, perfect. Well, let's, when we get home, let's try to see if we can find it somewhere. We'll randomly search it on Tubi and see if it's there. Miraculously, it is. And we're like, oh my God, we've just struck gold. We're going to get to watch this amazing film. So the second it starts to play though, it says a Godfrey Ho film. And we're like, oh no. And here's the deal. I theorize that if we were able to see the actual original non-English dubbed version, remember, typically I, I have nothing against English dubs. I a lot of the time prefer the English dub, but with Godfrey Ho films, it's different. So for reference that people don't know, Godfrey Ho was the king of splicing and dicing and uh, butchering films for American releases. He may take two or three different films, edit them together. Like he may have released one film. Then he'll retake that same film, re-edit it with other films just to release it as another film in America. And so the version we were watching seems to be, it seems to be just the one movie. I, I can't say whether or not they may have spliced in some footage from some other Yukari Yoshima films. Like even when she's fighting in the park randomly, mm-hmm. that didn't really make much sense. So no. it, it, odds are it did splice in some other footage. Uh and it just was this incoherent mess of a movie. On top of that, with the English dub of a lot of these Godfrey Ho films, I, you, I'm 99% sure that the dubbers don't even have a script. They don't even know what's technically going on. They just start making stuff up. It's almost like Mystery Science Theater 3000, like with a narration or a you know a, a, a dub track over it that's supposed to be comical. The only problem is it's not comical if you're actually trying to watch the damn movie and figure out what's going on. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, it makes no sense. Like when we when we watched the trailer initially, we thought, oh, this is a this is a Dick Way version of Taken. Yes. And it at no point does that really seem to fully come to fruition, maybe towards the end, but not really. Well, and the, so like, I, the English dub just yeah. makes it so obnoxious, too. It's like you're it's a annoying ass movie to watch. Like there's this one part where just this random like, I don't know, like drug dealer game is like, what? You want me to come home and. Why? You're taking care of the baby. Oh, it's shitting all over the carpets? Okay, I'll be home after this. And it's just like, why? Like, did you think that was funny? It's not funny. I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. And the it just creates this incoherent mess that's just so hard to sit down and watch. So long story short, I'm, I would love to see the original Hong Kong version of it and see if it is... Like Because even still, I feel like we got gypped on some of the action sequences because the finale that we get in the Godfrey Ho version, it's only six minutes, which is pretty short for a <laughs> Hong Kong movie of that style. Yes. Like I have a feeling that uh, but then again, maybe it was just a terrible movie to begin with. Yeah, who knows? But the trailer was fantastic. Trailer was fantastic. Highly enjoyable. But on that note, should we actually begin to talk about the two films that we yeah. watched? Absolutely. Okay, so today we are talking about our new Beverly double kung fu screening. So once again, the theme was uh, Japanese, Chinese remakes of Japanese films. So our first movie was The Seven Warriors, uh, a Hong Kong remake of The Seven Samurai, the Kira Kurosawa film. Of course, this one was not directed by Kira Kurosawa. It was directed by Terry Tong and starred Adam Chang, 
who many might remember from, or at least for me, my favorite role of his, Shaolin and Wu-Tang. We have Jackie Chung, the well-known Hong Kong canto pop star and actor. We have Max Mock, uh, same thing, well-known actor and I believe singer as well. Tony Leung, once again, uh, very famous Hong Kong actor and also part-time singer. The classic Wu Ma, uh, well-known actor, character actor, director. Uh, Xing Fu An, we have Benny Lam, uh, who many might remember from Police Story 2 and Donnie Yen's uh, Legend of the Wolf, or aka The New Big Boss. And then uh, in our antagonist role, we have uh, Lo Li, the famous kung fu movie star from Five Fingers of Death, uh, Clan of the White Lotus, etc., etc. And then we have a wonderful opening sequence with a mm. cameo by the great Sammo Hung. Uh, that, so, I mean, if we just start with the, the opening cameo by Sammo Hung, I mean, that fight sequence, usually usually when, when you see a Sammo Hung movie, you, you do get some good fights early on, but he saves the, the, like, the, 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 the climactic movement that he unveiled in this cameo in the very beginning of the, of the film for the end. We might see something like this close to Eastern Condors or Dragons Forever. This was, I'm fighting a group of guys. So it's not like a prodigal, not prodigal son, a pedicab driver where the fight is, there's some good sequences, but then it's also kind of like a mishmash, a little bit of comedy. This was straight to it, hard fight, uh, hard fighting group of group assailants. Uh, Samo just uh, being pure, pure, a pure example of heroism, just fantastic movement, camera work, editing. It's it's one of the best opening fight sequences I think I may have ever seen in film. I might be overstating it, might be overstating it, but if I am, not by much. Mm. Uh, yeah, obviously, it's also short and sweet. That's the whole point. It's yeah. you know, like it's not one of those. Uh, Huge opening sequences, which I mean, I'm trying to think of one for reference and can't off the top of my head. That maybe is a little bit longer, uh, really kind of establishes the the tone of the film. This one is it's pretty short, but man, is it amazing. And we were kind of both joking. It's like because I know I've watched this movie before, but then I was thinking, you know what? I may have never finished it simply because I get this great opening sequence with Samo. And spoiler alert, it's the only scene he's in. So mm-hmm. uh, it's like, well, what the heck? I don't get Samo for the rest of the movie now. This is bull. Uh, but if you can obviously get past the disappointment of not having Sammo, you're going to get a great film. It is a, it is a great movie, uh, very enjoyable. Uh, you know, it doesn't try to hide what it is. And that's like a remake of the seven Samurai. There's even, uh, uh, a shot towards the end of the film, like right before the finale. That's obviously, uh, an homage to Mm -hmm. the original. Uh, you know, it knows what it's doing. It's not trying to hide it. Uh, and it's got a great cast and as much as I would have liked, that Samo sequence, like say at the end of the movie, like he comes in as a cameo to save the day. I think mm-hmm. it was for the best having it at the beginning so as not to take away from our stars uh, of the film, right? Because when you have a presence like Samo, it can be kind of, in a sense, overbearing, right? Because he is so phenomenal. And in comparison to the rest of our seven, you know, warriors, he's a step above and beyond in terms of talent and screen charisma and performance within the martial arts. And that's nothing against these actors uh, and, you know, action actors. It's just, Hey, he's Sammo, man. He's one of the goats, if not the goat, depending on who you ask. But uh, yeah, so we get this great opening sequence, uh, which kind of establishes who our villain is, what they're doing. Pretty much like a group of bandits are terrorizing local villages and forcing them to give them like 
you know, half their harvest and blah, blah, blah. And so one village decides to uh, gather up their savings and go and hire someone to pretty much protect them from uh, this villainous tribe before they come like at the uh, next year to collect the harvest and whatever, whatever. And so uh, they, you know, upon searching and obviously the, the leader of this crew is played by uh, uh, who I didn't mention before, classic five deadly venoms actor or one of the venoms, uh, not, uh, uh, oh my gosh, Philip, uh, ah, Philip Kwok. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Philip Kwok. There we go. Sorry. I was about to say Philip Kofi again. Uh, he was on my, in my mind, but, uh, and so he, goes out to try to find some warriors they inadvertently run into tony lung at first who's kind of very patriotic uh individual who doesn't have any warrior skills but has a lot of heart and kind of uh charisma and slickness to him and then uh and 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 what i what i appreciate about this film is uh, we kind of mentioned it afterwards after we watched it you get to see the the arc of of performers and how they grow into their media roles. Like, you know, somebody else might have played this role a little more buffoony. I mean, it's, he, it is definitely a comedic role, right? but he plays it with layers and you can see how by giving essentially hundred percent to this role that is not, that is unlike other characters he's played uh, for the most part, particularly in the middle of his career and, and his current portion of his career, he's, he was given the path to this to this great artistic career that we have of his now. Yeah. And the funny part is I heard multiple people throughout the movie saying, he's so young. He's so young. Everyone's was like, he's so young. They couldn't get over how young looking he is because it's true. Uh-huh. It's like this would have been the very beginning of his career, right? Because Seven Warriors came out in uh, 1989. So, I mean, this is, you know, pre- Hard boiled pre a lot of his, you know, pre his working with Wong Kar Wai. Uh, so he's just very, very young looking. Uh, and then obviously we get uh, our other members of the crew we mentioned. So pretty much at this point, they also run into Max Mock, who is the actual soldier who then goes and recruits his former commander, played by Adam Chang, who's pretty much living in a uh, brothel. Uh, and then it's like, okay, it's time for us to, uh, get the gang back together. So the, the whole warrior crew reassembles, uh, and they pretty much just decide, you know, not even for payment, just for, uh, the sake of getting back into action. They're going to go and protect these villagers, everyone except for Wu Ma, who is constantly trying to chase a treasure, which becomes his downfall, uh, later on in the film. Uh, but yeah, so we have this ensemble crew, they go to the village, they realize what they're working with. They have to train the villagers. Uh, once again, we've, we've seen this format from the original seven samurai. I mean, it's been a long time since I watched it. We were both saying how we both need to go back and rewatch it. But, uh, in the in-between we get, you know, a lot of camaraderie building. We get, uh, Tony Lung's relationship with, uh, another villages. Uh, so Samo's sister pretty much from the opening sequence and they fall in love in a sense. Uh, we get some more backstory. We get to see some training sequences uh, all the way up until we get to the, you know, inevitable finale when the uh, bandits come to pretty much take what they think is theirs. And then we kind of have a two part finale in a sense. Uh, but yeah. So I guess let's talk about the bread and butter of this podcast, which would be the action 
Yes, I thought you were going to say of uh, Ben Lamb. Well, because Benny Lamb is he, is pretty cool in, in this movie. And he, for me, is kind of one of those guys that, not that he didn't get his fair shake. I mean, he's in one of the greatest action films of all time, Police Story 2. But I always just thought he was like a phenomenal uh, performer. I mean, he's popped up over the years, uh, more often than not, in, like, in Donnie Yen movies. Uh, even most recently, he was in uh, Raging Fire. Yes. Yeah, he was the Shantytown boss. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, and I, I can't remember if he was also in, uh, he's also in, uh, 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 English title, uh, Flashpoint. The Donnie Yen one where yeah, that, yeah. The, the greatest fight scene of all time. He's yes. at the, in the, uh, top golf, like fight sequence. Yes. You're, yeah. you're so right. Wow. He pops up, uh, every once in a while, but, uh, it's like, man, he could have, uh, he could have been like a Ken Lowe. I would have liked to have seen him have a little bit more, but, uh, Anywho, we uh, went off on a tangent a bit. So obviously we talked about the Sammo Hung opening sequence, very much in Sammo style. You can tell he probably directed it, choreographed it, did everything involved with that. It's his editing and cutting style. Uh, And the rest of the action is very good. Uh, Slightly different, but uh, still phenomenal action. And obviously each... Uh, of the seven warriors kind of has their own forte uh, with Benny Lamb being kind of more of what I would call like the hand to hand combat expert, uh, mm-hmm. the swords expert, the knife expert. Uh, so he gets some cool, almost like samurai esque sequences where because he's uh, responsible guarding one of the gates or the entrances to the village. And so he has a whole sequence where he takes on uh, a group of the bandits all by himself. Uh, we've got like, you know, Max Mox characters, kind of just an overall like good at shooting and all that jazz. And then their leader, Adam Chang, same thing. You know, he ends up being like kind of a sword expert, but more so like uh, European fencing. Yes. Yeah, no, it, it's funny because there there is that one fight sequence near the end where they both take a European fencing stance at one yeah. point. And I was like, oh, this, this is interesting. It actually almost, almost kind of reminded me of... Um, uh, the fight sequence in uh, Wheels on Meal at the very end, as well as uh, uh, Missing an Action, where they kind of like started taking a, a Western sword fight stance. And then obviously, once they start getting involved, that, that Western stance kind of uh, dissipated a little bit. Yeah. And the, the nice thing was, was seeing Lo Lee at this point still being such a great performer because uh, he's very physical in the action and he's throwing kicks mm-hmm. and stuff. And at this point, it's 1989. So he's already, you know, God, like over 15 years removed from kind of his prime, right? I mean, he was still playing Pi May in the late 70s, early 80s. But really at this point, you know, I always think this is the same Loli that uh, or Lole that was in uh, Miracles with Jackie Chan, right? So kind of that older character actor part, but he still is very physical and still had a lot of abilities. And uh, he and uh, Adam Chang's final fight sequence, which is mostly like sword play, is done very well. And Adam Chang's another one to me where maybe it's just because one of, uh, and I realized this when doing just a little bit of background for this episode, I've talked about some of the like very first Kung Fu movies I watched, but Shaolin and Wu-Tang was also one of those movies simply because I picked up the VHS at Best Buy. And for me, it's a damn shame. That's a movie that hasn't gotten uh, remastered, uh, you know, re-release, like with all these great Blu-rays we're getting, because really the only version of that movie available is kind of a crappy pan and scan. Even if you buy it on DVD, it's it's not even mm-hmm. formatted right for the screen. And it's just a shame there isn't a better version of that movie available. And, it, you know, I was looking it up and it was made by probably some uh, subsidiary of uh, 
Shaw Brothers, but it was uh, produced by Laogar Long, but actually directed by Gordon Liu. So it co-stars Gordon Liu as well. And mm-hmm. so because it wasn't part of the Shaw Brothers collection, it's probably why it's never been remastered. And who knows who has the rights? But once again, Adam Chang, from having been in that movie, I always thought, you know, he was a great performer. Obviously, he was also in Zoo Warriors. Uh, so it's just kind of fun to see him headlining uh, this group of soldiers. It could have been any other actor at that time. I mean, it could have been Sammo, right? It could have been... Yeah. Uh, any, I'd say more established star, but it could have been, but it's just kind of nice to see him in this role because he has a charisma about him, right? He has uh, a jovial appearance, which I think is suited for this character because especially as their leader, he has to maintain a sense of optimism when the odds are against them so heavily. Uh, no, that, that's a good point. And, and, and particularly like uh, shifting back to the, to the casting aspect I mean, the, you're right. There are so many characters that could have played in in these roles uh, that Samuel works with on a regular basis. And I'm not saying he hasn't worked with these uh, any of these actors before because Samuel works with everybody or has worked with everybody or anybody who's in Hong Kong. However, like I really appreciated this this casting because it gave each of them uh, a little more room. Like he could have gone with a lot of his Eastern Condor actors, his pedicab driver actors. Uh, any of the actors from that period who were working with him in the late 80s, you could have had a Yoon Biao in here. You could have had uh, Corey Yoon. You could have had, you know, any any of the Lucky Stars actors, even Andy Lau in here. But what I really appreciate is is with this, he he was almost, you know, he's putting a stamp on it. He's he's putting a his, he's putting his name on the line by having the cameo in the beginning, you know, so pulling in the audience that way. Definitely, I'm sure that that was one of the reasons behind his appearance in the beginning, but it almost seems like this was an extra exercise for him in directing by co-directing or directing a film uh, off of one of the uh, film greats, Kurosawa, right? And so by casting, I'm not going to say unknowns because they weren't, but by casting not regular like not his regular from his regular cast these these roles would have been filled by anybody else i think it it gave him a chance to have a little more artistic uh liberty in playing around perhaps with edits and angles which we've seen samuel do a few times through his career he's had a few like revelations and taking things to another level with his directing I, i i how do you feel about that well my question b is how much was samuel actually involved after his opening sequence well, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing so allegedly he's listed as director, but then he's not the only director. Yeah, because on uh, on Wikipedia, we have just the one director. Terry Tong, Terry Tong yeah. right? Yeah. But if you go to uh, the movie, the movie TMDB, he's also listed as directing. Yeah. On IMDB, he is listed as direct as well. So it could very well have been where he was handling primarily the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? I mean, once again, these this was very commonplace. But then again, maybe he got that co-directing credit simply for doing his opening sequence. <laughs> That's very true. He could have just like clear clear the room. I'm going to direct this sequence and then I'm, and then I'm out. Yeah. So but- we'll never know unless we talk to Sammo in person. Anybody out there have that connection? Let us know. But Let's let's wrap up our thoughts on this first movie simply because we already have another one to get to. But highly enjoyable, highly recommended. Uh, obviously, if you can find a, a good version of it, great. It was amazing seeing it up on the big screen. Our version was in Cantonese, mm-hmm. what would have been the original language. Uh, 
very entertaining. Uh, obviously, it is uh, it's got its uh, dramatic moments and, you know, uh, a, a lot of our team, spoiler alert, it, they are going to die. You know, that's kind of the theme of these type of movies. But it's heroic bloodshed. And uh, there's some, you know, longer periods without any action. But then at the same time, I feel like our cast is able to hold us over with their performances and uh, the likability of their characters and what they bring to the screen. So I'd recommend it uh, if you haven't checked it out already, uh, especially if you are a fan of The Seven Samurai. Maybe it would be nice to see a different approach to the film. Yeah. All right. I agree. Yeah. Nice. So now our second movie, which is the one that we were both really looking forward to. I have never seen it. I have never been able to find a copy of it. Uh, but the Frankie Chan directed uh, Burning Ambition from 1989. Now, Frankie Chan, we've talked about Frankie Chan over the years. Obviously, uh, he is a musician, actor, martial artist and director. He's been involved in some of literally the greatest martial arts films of all time, The Prodigal Son. He played our main uh, kind of, well, I, yeah, I mean, he is the antagonist, yeah. But uh, so, and he has some phenomenal fight sequences in that. He's in a favorite of both of ours, Pedicab, excuse me, Pedicab Driver, uh, Carry On Pickpocket, mm-hmm. uh, which he co-starred with Sammo Hung. He uh, was directed and starred in Outlaw Brothers, which is an amazing 80s action comedy. Uh, once again, co-starring Yukari Oshima. Uh, and so he, and he, he's done the musical score for a bunch of classic movies from Jackie Chan movies. Like I'm pretty sure he did the music for Dragon Fist randomly. I was watching that the other day. I was like, Oh, music by Frankie Chan. So a very talented individual. However, he had a reputation for when directing films and making films for, uh, kind of just taking forever. And I've heard a few of the like Guaylo actors from that era, including I believe is in a Bruce Fontaine interview talking about how with the Frankie Chan picture, it's like you may shoot it, then expect to be expected to come back six months later for reshot or reshoots. You know, it's just kind of a, a chaotic mess. And so the one thing that surprised me with this film, Burning Ambition, is I went in expecting it to be of a similar style and tone to Outlaw Brothers, a primarily action comedy. Mm -hmm. It is not at all. There is really no comedy in it. There's a few little sequences, which is pretty commonplace in Hong Kong cinema. It doesn't matter how serious the movie is. You may have like a moment or two of comedy in there, Uh, but it is played primarily very straight the whole time. Like it's almost like a, you know, someone may think, oh, it's like a Godfather type movie, which it is. It is almost like a mafia movie in that sense, but it is also like a Greek tragedy. Uh, in terms of like familiar relationships, betrayal, uh, and so forth. And I believe this one is uh, supposedly a remake or at least inspired by the Sonny Chiba film uh, Shogun Samurai. I think that's the one they said it was a, uh, you know, remake of. I forget. Definitely not Shogun's Ninja, but I think Shogun Samurai. So uh, it has a, a very great cast as well. As I mentioned, stars Frankie Chan. But Frankie actually doesn't come in till about 20 or 30 minutes into the movie. So uh, it starts off with, you know, we have some greats like Yukari Yoshima, obviously co-stars. Uh, Kara Hoi from uh, the Shaw Brothers era, My Young Auntie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, who else pops up in there? Anybody on the top of your head? I've well, I mean, I mean, did you already mention Simon Yam? You did not. No, Simon, Simon Yam, of course. Eddie Ko, uh, Roy Chow. Uh, let's see who else we have. Um, we have uh, playing kind of what would be the 
because uh, it's another one of those movies that starts off and you're like, okay, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Then you get like 20 minutes later, you're like, wait, no, these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. So it's kind That's, of a, an inconsistency that uh, makes it, I mean, as a viewer, I guess you have to decide who you root for. But we have a, a lot of other random people that pop up. So like one of the rival kind of, because there's a, it's a lot of betrayal. It's like there's this mob family and there's a split in the middle and they all know the other side's trying to kill them, but they still kind of stay friendly. So we have like the rival boss played by uh, Chun uh, Chung Ko. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, once again, it's, uh, that's like a Cantonese spelling. I, got, I would have to find his Mandarin name, but uh, who's also the mob boss from Miracles. Uh, Fung Harkon pops up in there. Uh, we've got uh, who he else? Pops up for, he pops up for a very short moment. Very short, but I mean... Oh, uh, Robin Shu. Robin Shu. I was about to get those. So we have some Robin Shoes in there. John Ledowski pops up. Uh, we've got Jeffrey Falcon in there. Uh, so yeah, a lot of great stunt performers. But Robin Shu is the one... I think maybe I'd read that before, but we both looked at each other like, oh shit, it's Robin Shu. He kind of is just like a, a henchman of sorts. It's, but it's... It's funny because the the one thing that I I have liked about Frankie Chan movies, uh, the like Carry On Pickpocket, uh, Outlaw Brothers, there is this sort of uh, we've talked about it before, gray zone in in these martial art films. But he like his gray starts at almost like a like a light black, like charcoal. His gray zone is charcoal to black. So it's like you're you're going into this film. It's a mafia family. And right from the get-go, you're like, oh, uh, the Simon Yams half is the good half. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to unfold that it doesn't, it's not that the motivations change change at all. However, once uh, Yukari Oshima appears uh, and once... um, you know, Frankie Chan appears. It's like, I'm, I just really want to root for them. So Frankie Chan has this way of like putting us in like the dark gray zone and having our own like moral cigarette out. I mean, like carry on pickpocket. I mean, in many ways, I, I know it's not, it's not his film, but he is a participant in that film. It's, we are rooting for thieves and the thieves actually do some bad things against worse thieves so it's a, it there's a lot of like crime on crime crime on crime within the crime world and you just have to like pick who you're rooting for or go along for the ride with great action excellent analysis and the interesting part is he also crosses into that gray zone in a sense in the display of violence because his films yes. even the more comical ones can be very violent like i mean even carry on pickpocket in that finale there's people like getting blown away with shotguns and stuff and it's bloody and it's like whoa and outlaw brothers same thing there's some like really intense moments of action and in this one where it's it's just straight up violent like wow you know it's uh, we we have some amazing choreography and martial arts sequences and yes there's one that's slightly more comical the one at the fairgrounds which we'll get to here shortly but then there's also just some like real violence in this uh but yeah so uh, we have it's a it's a mob movie. We've got the mob families like split in the middle after the death of the patriarch patriarch Roy Chow. So there's like his actual f- uh, blood family, his son and his wife that are uh, fighting for control, and then his former partner 
uh, who, spoiler alert, we find out was the one that actually killed him, and his family fighting for control. So automatically right at the gate, you're thinking, oh, okay, Roy Chow's family is the one we should be rooting for. But then it's like, as you said, it starts to segue over into the other side. But then it becomes this realization of, oh, really, it doesn't matter who we're rooting for because they're all terrible people. They're criminals. So yeah. it's like and- the fact that it becomes this Greek tragedy where everything starts to collapse. They start betraying each other. They start killing each other. It's like, yeah, they had it coming. Their, their moral compass is completely... Uh, yes. off and they all have this coming to him. So it's like you, you start to realize where the film is going. And cause at first you're like, Oh my God, I feel so bad. It's like, even when, uh, so even when like, uh, the, the children of the rival boss, you know, played by Kara Hoy, Yukari Oshima, Frankie Chan, et cetera, when they start to get killed off, it's like, Oh no. But then you're like, well, does it really matter? They were bad people too. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny because like we we've talked about this before where you watch like Walker Texas Ranger or like we'd even mentioned like when you watch the watch a lot of films that maybe took place in the 90s or earlier there is a moral tell to them. But with Frankie Chan the moral is kind of told the 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 moral to the story so to speak is told from almost the opposite side where you are it's he's not trying to glorify this lifestyle but he's basically there are morals to these stories and it's like oh these are all actually really bad people and the only one who might have some redeeming quality is frankie chan in this film right but you know and they all and the reason why he does have a redeeming quality is he does let us know and his father know and everyone around him know that he is dedicated to his friends. So that that is his one moral compass. And in the end, that moral compass also costs him potentially his life. I know the spoiler alert, the film does kind of end in a way where does he live, does he not? I mean, it kind of seems like he does. Well, yeah, he, he walks away from a, a gunshot that you really shouldn't be able to walk away from. He walks away like in a movie when someone gets grazed on the arm and like, oh, I'm all right. And they walk away. No, he gets shot in the middle of the chest. Once again, spoiler <laughs> yes. alert. And then he's literally just holding his chest and walks away. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's, it, this is you, you were right when you were like saying this is in many ways like a Greek tra- tragedy. It is, of course, this was New Beverly Cinema's Night of Hong Kong Goes Japanese film. This is based on the Shogun Samurai, which was directed by Kinji Fukusaku and starred uh, Sonny Chiba. Oh, come on. Yeah, thank you. I was just about to blank. Yeah, so Sonny Chiba. So it's, it's, you can see how, like when you watch Japanese films and your Ronin and your Samurai are, you know, they're dedicated to, to the, to the Shogun, they have to stay on that side and that's their moral compass, even if their side is wrong. And if their side is wrong, there there are different avenues they can take. But you can see the Greek tragedy. You can see the the, the samurai Bushido code uh, play out in this contemporary mafia setting in this film. And it's, it's kind of a lot. Of, it's it's like three. It's like three cultural layers interwoven here, and the storyline kind of take you know playing itself out. I mean, the way the story ends is just extremely tragic. Very tragic. And then obviously, like literally the Frankie Chan's father, who I wouldn't say betrays, he like, you know, goes against after his father betrays him. He literally goes mad. He goes crazy. Like, and so it just ends on a very like low note in that sense. But let's, this one, I definitely want, because once again, Seven Warriors had great action in it, but this one has a lot of just oh. fantastic fight sequences that we can break down. Some incredible, just 
Yeah. Once again, right. I'm, I'm at a loss for words because we have some amazing hard hitting action. So we'll talk about the highlights because I mean, I'm probably going to be forgetting some, but like our real big, uh, amazing opening one we get is the uh, sushi restaurant fight that segues into the parking garage, which is what like New Beverly advertised with a parking garage fight. You'll never believe, which is true because it's that good. Yes. So pretty much it's Yukari Oshima, Karahoi, and then their brother, who I'm not sure which actor that is. And he gets, spoiler alert, killed uh, pretty early on. They're protecting their father, the the rival boss uh, being for control. Uh, and so pretty much it's Yukari Oshima and Karahoi. And the funny part is Karahoi up till that point in the movie, we thought was just kind of this like, you know, little like pussycat, right? Like kind of a soft, you know, like, oh, girly girl. But then we find out, oh, no, she's a badass as well because Mm -hmm. she's been raised by like her dad and this mafia family. They're like his protectors, really. It's like he there's that line in the movie you had mentioned later. How uh, do you remember how it went something about like my children were born to protect me or something? Yeah. Uh, so the, he was the the father was giving a speech about uh, the purpose of his children. They were they were. I bore my children to use them. They, yeah. They're like they're my subjects to use. And at one point, I forget where that quote happened now, but the garage fight sequence it ends. It ends extremely tragically for Kara Hoy. Yeah. And and but she. So I'll just say it like. At the end of this fight sequence, I know we're going to uh, talk about other elements in this fight sequence. She's fallen down. She cannot move on. There's glass on the ground. She invites her father and her sister to walk on her back so that their feet don't get cut. Because, again, they were in a Japanese restaurant. They had removed their shoes, and they're in a garage filled with a lot of uh, windshield glass. So they walk, walk, literally walk all over her to escape. You know, and uh, Yukari Oshima goes first. She's lighter. Karahoi is still alive at that point. And then her father, who's heavier, bigger, walks over her. And I don't, there's not much survival, a uh, chance of survival after that, although she does continue to fight on. Yeah. But that's, yeah. So really, as, as Gavin mentioned, it segues. They're in the Japanese restaurant. They don't have any shoes on. So it segues into the parking garage and Yukari Oshima and Karahoi are holding their own. And the, the choreography we get is just so hard hitting, so ingenious. Uh, so fast paced, like the way they fight together and then fight separately. The sisters like teaming up uh, and both of them are just incredible performers. Obviously, Yukari Oshima with her background, her real life background in Gojo Karate uh, and then, you know, training with the Japanese action club, Sunny Chiba's team. So even before coming to Hong Kong, she was an incredible martial artist and trained performer. And then we have Karahoi, who obviously, you know, literally like grew up within the Shaw brothers and was a protege of Lao Garlong. And so she's a phenomenal performer. And she was one mm-hmm. of the Shaw Brothers actors that was able to, you know, segue and perform in contemporary action as well, which is nice. So she's not doing traditional Kung Fu here. It's more of that Hong Kong 80s kickboxing style, as we've mentioned. So the villains discover at one point when Karahoi accidentally steps on some glass that, hey, if we break all the glass, they're going to be screwed. So they just smart, start smashing all the glass in the parking garage. So the floor is completely covered. So at that point, that's how we get to this tragic situation where uh Karahoi has already fallen into the glass at this point and so she decides to use herself as like <laughs> a, a buoy or a life preserver for her dad and sister to literally jump on top of her walk across her and then get out of there and then so in that sequence we have her pass away so then we have uh, a follow-up fight scene where it's Frankie Chan 
and Yukari Oshima, mostly Frankie Chan uh, and his thug. So Frankie Chan, pretty much the reason he doesn't come in until 20 or 30 minutes in the movie is he's the son of the mafia boss and he's been living in Holland. So he's called over by his dad because, hey, we need reinforcements. So he brings his buddies, his friends that are like his surrogate family. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's this crew of Chinese Dutch uh, individuals that are all like martial arts experts. They're like a biker gang. And he brings them over as like his enforcers. So there's this sequence where they like raid the restaurant where Eddie Coe, part of the rival side of the mafia group, Mm -hmm. uh, is having like dinner. And Eddie Coe is a fantastic uh Obviously, we know this from his roles, but a great martial arts performer. But in this character also, once again, unexpectedly, he's a martial arts expert. And it, But it works. It's organic. It's not like, a, oh, this is cheesy. He knows martial arts, too. Because we've talked about movies like that in the past where it's like, wait, everybody <laughs> knows martial arts. Like, as I jokingly say, when I watched the Dennis Rod movie, movie, Simon Says, I was like, wait, how does that do no kung fu, too? No, this one, it, it makes sense. So we get this great hard-hitting fight sequence. And then Frankie Chan comes in and fights with Eddie Coe. Uh, and so that's a great treat right there. Uh, and then later on, we have uh, the carnival fight, yes. which is a true highlight, which is where uh, Frankie Chan and his group, including Robin Chu, as we mentioned before, who's the three-sectional staff expert, they take on some enforcers that have been brought in from the other side, some foreigners that have been brought over from New York, including Jeff Falcon, uh, John Ladowski, guys like that. And so we have a great fight sequence between all of them and pretty much where Jeffrey Falcon's like kicking everybody's ass until mm-hmm. Frankie Chan comes in. So this is one of the more kind of, I hate to use the word lighthearted, but kind of has some comical elements because uh, Jeffrey Falcon or Falcone, however you want to say his name, character is so unimpressed by the Chinese Kung Fu ability. And he, you know, obviously in real life, he's a wushu expert. And so Frankie Chan has to come in and show him who's really best at Kung Fu. So there's a lot of exchanging of Kung Fu moves. Frankie Chan kind of uh, channels uh, his character from the prodigal son doing that, this, that same sort of stance. And he's kind of doing a, I don't know what, like a, he, he'll just mix whatever animal system he wants in this deep <laughs> cat-like stance he does. And then obviously they're, they're doing that like Mantis they're doing it like tiger then they do drunken boxing and we get this great sequence between them uh very very hard hitting uh, it, and it's, it's really like uh it's really fantastic to see these tra- uh, traditional kung fu styles inside a contemporary setting because we don't get to see that so often it has to be within a traditional film or when we see it in a contemporary film it doesn't always work but the fact that uh, Jeffrey Fal- Falcon Falcon was calling out the Chinese from the stage because he had jumped up to a stage to fight. It made it 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 allowed us to see this have the sequence, and I, that's one thing I really like about Frankie Chan in in his fight sequences. He is so innovative, but also has a way of tying them to the story so tightly that it's it just works. And again, like to, to see this traditional fight sequence within a contemporary setting, it's just that works in a way that it works. And it isn't comical. There is some comic element to it, the, where he's calling out the Chinese and then Frankie Chang comes, comes up and, and, and has his, uh, is able to match him and best him. It's really a fantastic sequence. And it's, it's rightfully set on a stage as well in front of an audience. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. It's like, hey, we are going to give you a performance. This is performance-based martial arts in a sense. Uh, But yeah, no, and uh, I'm trying to think, is there any other 
fight scene that stands out to you from the movie or did we kind of hit all the big ones pretty much? I mean, there's obviously from there they go to the water slide and John going, you know, the chase sequence is pretty, pretty significantly good. There is the, I think leading up to the carnival, there's a car fight sequence, but that's mostly dodging and moving around. Uh, but isn't that where Yukari Oshima passes? Yeah, so she gets shot there. And that was that was disappointing to me, not because yeah. I was so invested in her character, but because she's such a phenomenal performer, right? And I was like, yeah. oh, man, when she gets kind of a, uh, you know, a, uh, not undignified, but a not, not a very glorious death sequence. You know what I mean? I would have rather yeah. have her, like, die in battle or, you know, uh, instead she's just kind of randomly shot. You're like, oh, shit. She's dead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's like when these moments happen where people are passing, it is, it is really much like, you do have that feeling like, did that really just happen? Wait a minute. Are, maybe they're okay. Maybe they'll come back. This is a film, you know, this is a Hong Kong film. This is an action film. Maybe, maybe someone isn't really dead, but no, Frankie Chan doesn't pull punches. If, if the story calls that a gun gets pulled out and Yukari Oshima is in front of the, the barrel, that's what's going to happen. Yep. He's cold. He's cold hearted. He's man. one cold dude. So really, if you like contemporary Hong Kong action from the eighties, Jackie Chan, Sam Moe and stuff, you're gonna highly enjoy this movie. Yes, you get a plot that's kind of almost I hate to use the word convoluted, but just because it goes so back and forth, it's really trying to be this intricate mob type movie, but at the same time a Hong Kong action film. And I think it 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 still primarily succeeds but you have a large cast of characters which is every and everyone's great and you see a lot of classic faces that you recognize in fact within the two films we watched that night there was a lot of carryover of actors that were in both movies mm-hmm. which is commonplace i mean because remember hong kong was a lot smaller than hollywood and they were both made the, the same year so it makes sense that they'd have uh some of the same actors in them but really if you like that hard-hitting style of action you've got to track this movie down and watch it just because it is so good i i'm looking forward to being able to find a copy of this like a full-fledged you know good copy because now that i've seen mm-hmm. it up on the big screen i can't watch it any other way like i won't watch a you know bootleg youtube version yeah. uh i've got to watch the real thing but it, it's just you're treated to a lot of great fight sequences overall i still think i prefer outlaw brothers just because yes. the kind of the consistency of the tone i knew you you know what you're getting it's a comedy it's an action comedy i feel like there's also slightly a few more fight sequences within Outlaw Brothers, but overall Burning Ambition was totally worth the drive down and going to see the film. Like for example, you know, I'm going to be moving a lot closer to LA soon. I'm only going to be, you know, what would be from like Gavin's house, three hours. And then from like, you know, two and a half or even less to where our coach trains out of. But so like, you know, the new Beverly cinema would be kind of a happy medium. So like, you know, we'll just say three hours, but I still can't necessarily take the time to come down for every double Kung Fu screening. Like even the one they've announced for August. Yeah. Probably not going to come. Uh, it's to uh, Polly Shang. Uh, Polly Shang Quan. Uh, Polly Shang movies. And I think she's great. But those films are both readily available. I don't necessarily need to go see them on the big screen. But this no. is the kind of one where I'm like, oh, wow. To see an original copy on film on the big screen. I got to go see this one. Yeah. Uh, just, just one, one thought I would say is if, if New Beverly is listening to this, uh, yes. to this episode, which they do. Yes, of course. This was a great double feature. The second film in particular, like knocked it out of the park for me. If there were more Frankie Chan films on the New Beverly screen, I would certainly be there. Yes. Uh, 
his just being able to watch the dynamic, innovative choreography that he puts on screen and that and the people he casts in his film who can perform at that level. Right. is just such a joy to see. Really so much fun to see. And and at one point I will I'll be I'll be honest with you. I was like I, I remember looking at the cast before the film. Remember doing the research before the film. At one point, I started to wonder: Is this was this film starring Frankie Chan, or was he just directing it? Like, am I going to see him? Well, I started to have I started to doubt myself. Me too, and because then, he doesn't come in till like twenty something, twenty five minutes, maybe even thirty minutes in the movie. And I thought, yeah, oh, my bad. Yeah, the, and the, and I think it's around the twenty five minute mark that we see the 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 camera, uh, you know scan the room and then there or pan across the room and there's a family photo and Frankie Chan's it. I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm going to relax a little bit. He's showing up soon. Not that I haven't been dis- not that I'm disappointed with what I've seen so far, but uh, yeah, that was a, uh, it, it was a nice tease to make us wait that long for Frankie Chan to, to appear on film. You know what? After doing this discussion, I may just go pop in outlaw brothers. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to hold out. I kind of want to hold out for on Outlaw Brothers in case they bring it. Oh, that's an excellent point. So on that note, change of plans. I think I'll go back to <laughs> watching the Chinatown Kid, which I was watching before this. So you're not going to rewatch Angel or Angel's Mission? No. And you know what? Also on Tubi, we discovered that they had uh, Yes, Madam ninety five. Uh, they just have it under there as Yes, Madam. But I remember always reading it as Yes, Madam ninety five, a Cynthia Khan film, and so we were excited about that. Did you try to start watching that yet? No, don't. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's a really, really bad copy. If it is even that film, I don't know. It's such a terrible, like, you know, a terrible quality of the actual film. The the pan and scan, whatever, is all off. The formatting is all off. It's hard to even see what's going on on the screen. It's, you know, I did not get my money's worth. Or did I? Because <laughs> ah, yeah. well, you know is what? for free. <laughs> I, well, I think my joke to you via text was I want my money back after Angel's Mission yeah, from exactly. Tubi. Yep. But anywho, any final notes, my friend? Uh, no, it was, it was a great joy to have you here. Uh, looking forward to you being even closer. So much fun training with Petey, with Herman this, these last few days. Uh, I'll tell you what, I was wiped out at the end of this week. Oh, That's man. Sure. When I got like, so <laughs> my workout on Thursday, when I woke up, I was like, whoo. Uh, I, and it was really hot that day. I was like, you know what? Not going to go for a run outside. I'm going to use the elliptical downstairs where it's comfortable. Cause I was just, and I was so bruised up, man. I was covered yes. in bruises all over. So great training, uh, highly enjoyable. Looking forward to more trips, uh, still on the fence about whether I'm coming down for dragon fest or not. So odds are probably not, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, but otherwise, Great recording as always. We'll be back next week where this is two weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, and then should we just go ahead and make the, the announcement of what we're going to do for next week's episode? Should we commit? Did, did uh, Are we doing the, the thing that the person asked or are we doing... Are we doing one of those lists? I don't know what the person asked, so I was assuming the list. Yes, let's do it. Let's do a list. Cool. We are going to... So wait, we're not even going to say it. We are going to do a listicle, a top five... Uh, so keep an eye out. That'll be dropping next week. Yes. All righty. Hey, it's uh, great seeing you. Great seeing you. Adios, amigo. Take care.